Hey guys, welcome to the Knife Hour. I'm so excited because today we have Bart Mastrodoni, who is an expert in adapting like classic literature, horror literature into great films. And he's going to tell us how he does that and how he promotes his brand. And you can learn from him, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Joel Monique. And I'm Peggy Rad. Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm so excited because we have a great guest. Uh, not only is he a teacher slash professor at uh, NIFA here in Los Angeles, um, but he's a cinematic filmmaker. Cinematic filmmaker? I'm all here today, guys. Uh, in his own right. And he does horror movies, which I'm so excited to talk about because I and Pega are both huge horror buffs. Huge uh, horror. That's yes. awesome. I like that. It's my favorite. So, uh, yeah. And I, I guess we're just going to dive in. Um, we're live in the chat, so you guys have questions. There you can ask. And then um, if later you have questions, you can always hit us up on our Twitter, uh, which is uh, Knife Hour, just at Knife Hour. Uh, if you have additional questions for uh, Bart, you want to ask later, we can try to, you know, get those questions to yeah, him. Yeah, ask questions, ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So uh, I just want to start uh, with my favorite question. It's always my first question. When did you know that you were in love with cinema? Uh, my dad took me uh, when Star Wars opened up. Oh, and goodness. so I think I was six years old when he took me. And uh, there was something very powerful about it mm. in a dark movie theater. And Star Wars is operatic. So I think that was it. But then what kind of signified it was my dad took me to see... My, I credit everything to my dad with yeah. cinema. So uh, April 13th, 1984, oh Friday the 13th, the final chapter opened up. And I was 12 <laughs> years old. And he took me to go see it. And I fell in love with Jason and the Friday the 13th films. And I knew, I really knew at that moment I wanted to be a part of um, motion pictures. Not television, but motion pictures because they were so big. The screen was big and the music and the sound and the acting and all of that was just so big. So those two films are probably the two biggest ones that I credit to. So I was 6 and 12. So that's when I knew. And do you owe it to those movies as well to really get into the horror genre? Yeah, Friday the okay. 13th, definitely. Star Wars, definitely. And then a lot of classic literature. I would say like uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth, Dante's Inferno, um, uh, Shelley's Frankenstein. I was obsessed with all that stuff. What is it about horror that kind of draws you in? You know, uh, for me, it's it's not about the blood and the gore. It's always mm -hmm. been about the darker side of things that, you know, sometimes are not kind of brought into the light. And the idea that things are different and we don't quite understand it. And I always kind of um, worked with that. Uh, I kind of understood the characters that were dark. Um, and not because I'm a dark person, mm -hmm. but because uh, I always felt kind of different growing up. Uh, and um, Jason and Darth Vader and all these characters were kind of edgy. And mm -hmm. I kind of just was drawn to that. And um, those kind of things just kind of kept drawing me to it. And um, I don't live a dark life. I just kind of like the dark side of the art element to it. There's a there's something very intriguing about it, and I like to kind of go there. It's kind of scary at times. Yeah. Because as a filmmaker, you got to kind of go inside, and you got to draw that out. And mm -hmm. you got to go to places that you don't want to go to, but, you know, that's I'm part so of the sorry. art. I'm so sorry. Hold the pause. Hey, Booth. Mute your mic, please. Thank you. Sorry, guys. Slight <laughs> technical difficulties. Speaking to me, Bart, I'm sorry. No, that's no Okay. So, uh, but yeah, that was it. I was kind of drawn to all the darkness of it. Because, uh, you know, it's it's nice to watch movies about, you know, rainbows and, you know, nice things. But there's something about being in the darker side of life that kind of draws out the light, in my opinion. Right. So that's why I guess I've always been drawn to it. Do you have a preference between 
like a slasher movie and a psychological thriller. Yeah, uh, Friday the 13th is total slasher, and I love mm. them. And okay. I could sit there, and I could watch them for hours. Uh-huh. And, but to make a movie like that, I wouldn't know how to. I tend to make oh, okay. more psychological thriller-type okay. horror. Because um, they're, they're a little bit more character-based. And the Friday the 13th, they're a lot of fun, and they're definitely popcorn films, and I totally would love to try and attempt one um, but I know I would always tend to go more towards character driven psychological horror so things like Silence of the Lambs, Taxi Driver those tend to be very psychological mm-hmm. horror thriller type films and Friday the 13th and Halloween and Scream those are very slasher oriented. Scream I love because there's so much more characterization there. Right. Yes. And those characters kind of continue and roll over and change oh, and God. morph throughout the Kevin series. Kevin Williamson wrote a oh, brilliant script. He's my favorite. Oh really? <laughs> Dawson's Creek I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean wait Scream. <laughs> Kevin's great. Kevin's no, great. He's, he's so brilliant. Yes he is. He's a good guy. Um, do you like when you're writing films? Do you find yourself getting into a dark place though? I mean, I'm sure when you're surrounding yourself with a the research and the characters, do you find like, do you find yourself saying, "I need to take a break. I need to step away from this. This is getting too dark." Yeah, yeah, I I do. I tend to go there, um, and usually I have to be isolated, and I got to kind of be alone, and then mm-hmm. um, I. I kind of the characters kind of talk to me, and it's kind of interesting. Wow. Um, I'll hear things and I'll play it out. And again, that's why I'm alone <laughs> when I write and or I'm doing certain things. Um, like I'll go to museums, and that's where I usually find my inspirations. Or like I said, I go to classic literature. I try not to go to horror movies per se, because then I don't want to be too influenced sure. by them. So what I do is. I'll go to sources that uh, allow me to research what it is. So I'll come up with an idea, and then I'll kind of go to those ideas through museums or sculptures or paintings and stuff like that. I love that. So you say that uh, Friday the 13th is your favorite, like, horror series. Is Mm -hmm. there... Which Friday the 13th movie is your favorite? I would say the first four and Jason Lives. But of them all... Jason Lives, really? Oh, my God. That's... Because you know what it is about Jason Lives? It's so well-written... And Tommy McLaughlin, who wrote the script, actually probably wrote the best script in the series because it actually had characterization. You liked all these characters and stuff. Mm. But I love the whole series as a whole. Is Jason Lives the one where he goes to space? No, we don't talk about that one. Uh, <laughs> this is why I'm confused. I'm like, wait a minute. Hell there's so many. There's 12 of them. They're actually going to make the 13th one. What about the Freddy vs. Jasons? Because I'm a huge Freddy Krueger fan. Okay, I grew Freddy. up watching that. So. Uh, I, I enjoy the Freddy vs. Jason. Okay. I remember going to see it uh, in Queens, New York, and it was like the day of the major blackout that we had on the East Coast. And we went with like 50 people. And it was a sold out crowd and people were going insane. And you know what? That's the fun of it. That was the fun of it. And I think they did a really nice, fun job with that film. So I enjoyed that. But Freddy Krueger, Wes Craven created probably one of the most iconic characters in cinema history. I have nightmares on a very regular basis about Freddy. (laughs) (laughs) Freddy Krueger was always uh, kind of up there with Chucky to me as being, like, silly but fun. Like, they they thread that line of camp horror really well. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like... Jason was the thing the haunted because he doesn't speak. What are your motivations, Jason? Right. Why are you just <laughs> slashing you people? It's terrifying. Um, cool. So uh, I wanted to talk about your latest film, um, which is like 
an ode to to one of the greatest horror writers of all times, Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, Mr. Poe, yeah. Yes. Um, so it's called The Tales of Poe, mm-hmm. um, and it's done by a series of people. Like, there are a bunch of, like, short, I won't call them vignettes, but, like... They're, it's an anthology film. There we go. Um, so my producing partner, Alan Rokelli, and I, um, we did three pieces. So I directed uh, two of them. I did uh, Telltale Heart, and I did Dreams. Michael Varadi uh, wrote Dreams for me. Uh, and uh, Alan Rokelli did Casca Amontillado. So uh, what we did was I had finished Vindication, and I really was in kind of a, an area that I didn't... You know, you make one film, you're like, what am I going to do next? Yeah. And then uh, I happened to be substituting for a teacher friend of mine, and he was teaching The Telltale Heart. And uh, I had just gotten done being cinematographer for Alan's film. Uh, I... Forget which one it was. It was another anthology that he did, and uh, Debbie Roshan was the lead actress. And Debbie's great to work with; yeah. she's a professional actress. And I happen to be teaching. And I'm like, oh my god, this is the next project. So I wrote her a letter, and I said, uh, I think I just found the work piece that we're going to work on. It's the Telltale Heart, and she says, uh, "Isn't that for a man?" I said, "Not anymore." <laughs> so I, I rewrote it, it and um, it's uh, it, it played in film festivals for like three years straight. And it's a short. Wow like 30 minute film and then it was really to kind of springboard uh, the rest of the anthology and then we had our big premiere at the Egyptian theater here with like 400 people sensational full red carpet step and repeat everything nice. it was just like it was literally the crossing point so me Alan Michael and we had stars from the Friday the 13th film in Tales of Poe wow. so that was kind of surreal. surreal yeah it was surreal Amy Steele Adrian King then we had Caroline Williams from Texas Chainsaw 2 so, I mean, it was, you know, it's it's nice. And Michael, our writer for Dreams, he's gone on to do, like, Lifetime for Television Christmas movies. Wow. And, he's, and he just sent me this a beautiful script. Yeah, totally different. <laughs> he just sent me a beautiful script, so I'm going to be actually filming another Edgar Allan Poe piece this July. Wow. Nice. So, The Conquer Worm. Very cool. So, I want to take a step back really quick yeah. to talk about that strategy. Um, it's interesting to me. I, I've heard that people have success spinning um, shorts into features. Yeah. Um, it seems so hard and so uh, just, like, draining. Like, when I hear about the process, it's like, not only do you have to make complete and finish the movie, which, as we all know, is a challenge in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have the tools and how to do it easily, but the process of making a, a solid film is just a lot of work. Followed then by three years of festivals, which yeah. means submitting, which means paying fees, which means, you know, touring with it and, and following up. And then... to go on and make, you know, more pieces to create yeah. an entire uh, feature. Can you talk a little bit about why that process worked for you? And I'm also curious, uh, did you start doing that's what you wanted to do? Like, make it a feature eventually? Or were you just, uh, it was a short, it was doing well, and you decided to add on to it? Um, Tales of Poe mm-hmm. was uh, off of my feature film Vindication. And any time you make a movie, it's a process. Sure. Vindication was four years of my life. My, goodness. my own my own financial money. I did not wow. ask for anybody to pitch in. Uh, it was a, a group of talented people that kind of we all came together to make this film. And I got very fortunate because Clive Barker got to see Vindication and he attached his name with a beautiful critique of the film. And he says one of this one of the things was you have to put my review on your film. Okay. I was like, <laughs> you're Clyde Barker, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> that kind of just blew the doors open. And then when I was searching for another project, which is The Telltale Heart, mm-hmm. uh, I knew that I wanted to do an anthology film with it. 
And then that kind of springboarded it off. So while Telltale Heart was playing in the festivals, we were then doing Cask of Amontillado and Dreams back to back. And it was, I mean, it was grueling because, again, Vindication was four years from writing to filming to editing to the festivals. And Tales of Poe was another three years. So I came right off of Vindication into another three years of my life, which was Tales of Poe. And uh, that included... Telltale Heart, which we shot five days straight, but then Cask and Dreams took two years to make. Wow. You know, we would block days out. We would, um, I would take my paychecks. And at the time, I was working at New York Film Academy part-time, and I was teaching high school um, full-time. Wow. And then I was filming and photography and whatever it is just to make money, to make ends meet, to put into the film. So the metaphor that I use is um, I am the parent, and my film is my child, yeah. and anything that my kid needs... That's what I have to do. Oh. So, I mean, I don't have kids, but uh, I know that's what I would do. I really like this story because I think it speaks to a lot of independent filmmakers, uh, especially the ones who maybe don't live in Hollywood and aren't sure. Like, the odds seem insurmountable, but what it really is is just continuous sacrifice, which yeah. I say just, but it's, <laughs> it's so much work and, and so much time. Um, I know a lot of people work multiple jobs to support their art craft, and it's nice to hear from someone who not only is doing it, but is succeeding at it. Oh, I think it's, it's motivational. <laughs> it's like, it's, you can do it. The, uh, believe me, there are days where I well, I'll, I will totally be like, "What the hell am I doing?" <laughs> you know, it's like, "God, I can't pay the rent this month," or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, but no, it, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a football player. Um, that's not how I was how I was designed. Um, for some reason, I'm an artist who works within the film industry, particularly in the horror genre within the independent community, and that's where I seem to have found my niche. Um, whether I cross over into major Hollywood productions, and I, I, I welcome them with open arms. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that what I've been doing has been working for me, mm-hmm. and that's how I seem to do it. It has its days, but again, you have to have that passion. And if you don't have the passion, you don't have the drive, and you don't have the the sense of who you are, I don't think it's going to work. And you have to believe in what you're doing. If you're doing it for money, you're better off going into real estate. <laughs> Take that note, students. Take that note <laughs> it's real It's a lot hard. of hard work. It's for so little pay and sometimes no pay at all. Oh, my God. I, I've not seen a dime. I've seen one right. check, one check for $1,000 for vindication. I've not seen a dime since. Right. So it's sheer it. passion. It is. It is. It's, it's, it's a love. It's a love. Mm-hmm. You have kids because you want to have children, mm-hmm. not because they're going to bring you anything other than love yeah. and joy and that's right. you know to to get a letter from a kid in germany who found vindication at the bottom of a dvd box wow. and bought it for like five bucks and then have them write to you okay you're like okay i i guess i've made an influence somehow oh, wow <laughs> that's amazing what a feeling that must be i remember it was uh tales of poe we were gonna we were gonna have the premiere it was like Three year, almost three years ago, and this kid wrote to me, and I was like, oh, my God. And it was one of those days where I was just not feeling it. Mm-hmm. It's like, my God, you know, you put all this work and stuff into it, and you get those days. Yeah. And he, this kid wrote to me, and it was like, I just showed it to my cousins. And so when I got back to New York, um, after the premiere, I sent him over uh, posters Aww. for vacation. That's, so, <laughs> That's sweet. so sweet. Speaking of another surreal moment, mm-hmm. um, you were recently on a panel at Comic-Con. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Tell us about what happened. <clears throat> so Michael Verratti, who wrote Dreams, was invited to be a guest speaker and host a panel for Comic-Con, the Comic-Con in San Diego. And the panel was about horror filmmakers. And um, I get a, I kind of came out to teach at New York Film Academy. 
for the summer program uh, with Ale for the high school kids. Right. And I was remember driving in my car, and Michael calls me up, and he goes, what are you doing on such and such a date? I was just like, well, I don't know why. He goes, um, I'm hosting a panel for Comic-Con, and Comic-Con wants to know if you want to be a part of <laughs> horror film directors. The dream. Oh, my God. And it was it was on uh, gay, lesbian issues and stuff like that. And being um, a filmmaker who is gay, I said, yeah, I would be honored to come there. So I drive out there. And I had heard about Comic Con, and I never kind so of imagined it. So your first Comic Con, you paneled? Yes. What? I mean, I'm so, no big deal. Jealous. That's so cool. What oh did you experience God. it? Oh my God, it was quite the experience. Uh, I kind of had no idea what it was. I knew that it was popular. I sure. just did not expect what it was. It was like taking a ho- it was like taking the Oscars and magnifying that by like 100 because that's Wait, how many people were there. For those of you who haven't been to Comic Con, my favorite anecdote is it takes about 10 minutes to cross the street. Oh my God. Yes, yes. It, yes, it does. Yes, it people does. are like, it I don't understand how busy it is. Like, it takes a full 10 minutes just to get across the street. Like, <laughs> yeah. not down the street or around the block, but just to cross I, a singular street parked, about 10 minutes. I parked 20 blocks away. Oh, I can't believe wow. you drove there. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I would do it again in a heartbeat. I love it. I love so, it. So I get there and... Um, uh, I'm signing DVDs. I think I was signing posters for Tales of Poe, and then they said, Mr. Mester and I, please come upstairs. So I get up there, and it wasn't hitting me yet. I was just kind of, well, I'm at Comic-Con. Yeah. And um, they lead me up to this room, and um, standing out there is the star of Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, Mark Patton. Okay. And Mark Patton is... F- probably famous because he's done Broadway and come back to the five and dine Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. And Mark's a really great guy, but he comes up, literally comes up to me. He's like, I'm such a big fan of your work, Bart. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like pitching. I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm some kid from Ozone Park, Queens. My dad was a police officer. My mom was like a hairdresser. So um, the doors open up and you walk in and there's the the elevated platform and there's the step and repeat and then there's the table with the Comic-Con behind you and then it hit me when I saw my name on the The little little card and it said Bart Mastronardi and I literally walked in and I swelled up and I got so choked up I got so choked up and um, because you're like I I was like like, how does this happen? (laughs) And I remember and I thank Michael so much for so many things, uh, but to, to be there was quite the honor. And then a friend of mine, Joe, actually taped some of it, so we actually posted it on YouTube. So nice. there's like this piece about me talking about horror films uh, up on YouTube at Comic-Con. That's incredible. And it was quite an experience. Joshua Miller was there, whose uh, father was Jason Miller from The Exorcist. Yes. And, um, Joshua had just done The Final Girls, and uh, Mark was sitting next to me, and then Mark Bessinger was there. I mean, so many great filmmakers and people. And to be a part of that at that moment is just, it was, it's still mind-blowing. I That's still amazing. kind of... so cool. I want to jump back into... Yeah. Um, Poe and adapting. So mm-hmm. uh, you did uh, The Telltale Heart. <laughs> yeah. So first question, why? Like That was like the most iconic Poe uh, yeah. story. And you did a gender swap on yes, it. Yes, I did. So why that one and then why the gender swap? Um, Telltale Heart is my absolute favorite Edgar Allan Poe story uh, since I was a kid. I remember reading it and I'm like, oh my God, I love this. Yeah. And I figured if that was going to be my next project... I'm going to do it. Adapting it was a lot of hard work because you sit there and you're like, who am I to adapt Edgar Allan Poe? (laughs) And, you know, Roger Corman has done it numerous times and so many great filmmakers have done it. So I was quite nervous. So 
Um, what I did was I started reading books by uh, interviews with John Cassavetes and Marty Scorsese, mm-hmm. and you know the one thing that they kept talking about with adaptation is you have to make it cinematic and you have to make it your own. So I totally did not watch any of Corman's. I didn't watch anything else on Telltale Heart, and everything that I had seen I didn't quite like. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, if I'm to do this, I'm to write and adapt this. How am I going to do this? So uh, what I did was I made it very cinematic, and I changed the gender because I thought it would work with Debbie, and Debbie did a fantastic job. And then rather a sick old man, I made it an aged silent film star, Starlet, played by Edgar, uh, played by Alan Rokelli, who's also my producing partner. So uh, Alan is great in this female role, and Debbie's great as this female role. And rather than this man taking care of a sick old man, it became a nurse taking care of a sick aged silent film star oh. in, in old Hollywood. And what I did was I needed to understand how to bring all this together. And what I did was I set it in an insane asylum. So one insane patient is telling the story to another insane patient. I had a book in wow. that. So everything is in the telltale heart that Edgar Allan Poe wrote, including all the dialogue. And then I had to kind of fill in some of the gaps. So what I did was I then went to Tennessee Williams' Streetcar Named Desire, which is one of my favorite plays next to mm-hmm. Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And... I went in and I looked at Blanche Dubois' character, and she is a woman who is so deathly afraid of aging and not being and being alone. And that's where I based my character that Edgar Allan Poe had created. So he gave me the skeleton, and then I had to go in and create the muscle and the skin for it. Mm-hmm. And it was it took six months to adapt that. It's interesting to me because. As you're describing it, I'm thinking of Baby Jane. Oh my God, yeah. I'm thinking of Misery. Yes. And it, like all of these kind of classic Sunset horror stories. Boulevard. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it kind of, it's just like uh, the fact that these themes can continue to work for this genre, mm-hmm. but be used in ways that are so unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of fascinating to me that even today we're able to continue to use that idea. Um, I'm wondering now, okay, so do you remember the first time you screened the, t- the film? Uh, Just the short version, the, the Telltale Heart. Yeah, version. it was. Uh, we had our premiere for the Telltale Heart in uh, Queens at the Museum of the Moving Image, and it's a beautiful. Wow. I mean, it, it, it's beautiful there, and um, I remember watching it with an audience for the first time, and cast and crew were there, and I remember watching it, and I was just like. God, I was so proud of it, and I loved oh. it. And you know, because you know when the film's working, and you know when the film doesn't work. Right. And you sit there and you edit and you edit, and then when you finally feel that the the cut is done, you you got it. And then it was like, okay, we're ready to to screen this. So I'm I tend to be a risk taker on everything that I do, and it was just like, okay, we're going to screen this at the Museum of the Moving Image. And I went there and I said, how do I get a premiere here? And they we went over all the forms and stuff like that. And then when Tales of Poe is premiering. I I come back and forth to Los Angeles every summer. Now I live here officially. Um, and I remember the Egyptian theater always being one of my favorites. Yeah. And I remember Alan, had we had taken a road trip uh, by car, and I brought him over to the Egyptian theater. I said, what do you think if we premiere Tales of Poe here? <laughs> Everybody's like, you're crazy, Bart. And I was just like, that's right. And uh, I remember going back, and I called up the Egyptian theater, and um, they, I said, look, I want to premiere this in August. 
And uh, they said, okay, and they gave me all the paperwork and um, go into that 401k, and that's how you get a premiere. (laughs) Nice. And um, I remember I didn't even sit for the film because I I, I got so nervous I had to run out. Oh. 400 people. I was was just about to ask you, I mean, when you screen a film, do you sit there and actually watch your work and take notes, or do you look at the audience's reaction? I'm that guy that sits in the back ready to run out. Okay. Um, You know, I remember telling... Telltale Heart, I, again, I kind of sat in the back. I, I couldn't sit there. It was tough. Are you an aisle seat, like, right next yeah, to the door? Yeah, even on the airplanes, I got to sit on the yeah. aisle. At any moment, Same. Bart has to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, so um, if you were uh, to, have you, actually, let's do it practical. Have you yeah. given adaptation assignments to any of your students? No, actually, I haven't. I haven't, uh, as I said, because I do the camera and the lighting, so I've never had to give, like, a practical that Mm kind of does an adaptation. That would be great. It's a great exercise for them to do. Well, you've got students here. What what would you encourage? If they're thinking about adapting, like, classical literature, what are some steps they should take? I honestly would suggest a poem, because poems are very thought-provoking and challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, when we did Dreams, it was kind of challenging to figure out how to adapt this so we went uh, Michael wrote a beautiful script and uh, we kind of talked about what we want we wanted very surrealistic images and stuff so we went to Derek uh, Derek Jarman Wizard of Oz Alice in Wonderland type we tell the story about uh, this young girl who's dying and her mother is kind of overseeing her and she's given kind of uh, a a sleep induced medication Mm -hmm. she kind of goes into this dream world and Poe wrote this beautiful very sad poem so I would always say to students you know go to a poem because it's very challenging because it gives you all of the words but then you have to fill in the visuals and a real director has to go in and fill fill those visuals in and when you do an adaptation of say uh, a book or a short story most of the work is already done from the author but a poem is extremely challenging or lyrics from a movie so I would always say you know try and find Something that you can create where there's not much visual information where you have to think about that. Let the projector inside your head play that. And then go and study the words. What are the words saying? And then kind of say, okay, this word's given me this visualization and why and how does that work? It's a very challenging piece. It's a That's, lot of work. It is, really is a lot of work. Advice, though. I was listening to NPR's literary editor, I believe, the other day, mm-hmm. and he was saying the same thing, but about novellas and yeah. how they make really great feature-length films. Yep. Uh, Benjamin Button was one he brought up. and oh, that's so great. It's just so stripped down in novella form. It's just, this happens, this happens, the end. Mm-hmm. And so you have all of this room to flourish and add the visuals and really like get some subtext in there, but the, the basis of it is there. And so I like the idea of starting with a poem and that it's stripped down. It can still be you, but... Uh, Sounds like fun. I kind of want to do it myself now. <laughs> Actually, that's that's the next project we're working. It's the Conquer Worm, and again, it's a it's a poem. And you know, again, Michael's just brilliant to to work with, and Alan's incredible to produce with because you you work with such a team. And finding people to work with that's important also with mm-hmm. the students because I was talking to my AFA one year students last night. It was their final screening, and um, I said, you know, the one thing that you guys have is that you're also you work also well together Mm -hmm. i said you have to keep that in this industry because you know people who claw their way and backstab each other those are desperate people Mm -hmm. people who are artists and live their lives and work with each other and help each other those are the people that you want to be with Mm -hmm. you know and i think new york film academy kind of offers that you know that that range of flourishing and being an artist being a filmmaker and understanding the business Mm because it is a business in the long run at the end of it all foremost yeah Yeah. when money is exchanging hands it's a business Mm -hmm. you know um 
and and you have to learn that. But if you if you have people that you could work with that understand certain elements, then you all kind of work together. If your strongest element is editing, or your strongest element is writing, and your strongest element is directing, well, then all three of you should come together mm-hmm. and then put your heads together for that. You know, those three heads will be able to work with each other. It's actually what drew me to filmmaking is the collaborative art form. Mm-hmm. The fact that I didn't feel it was completely on my shoulders at all times and also the fact that I could build and bounce off of other people and like you work with it seems like you work with a pretty much the same team yeah. again and again at least for the the bare bones structure of things um do you because I, I know when I was growing up and I when I talked to a lot of young filmmakers they're like I hope people work with the same team like all your movies look the same and I'm like but bro when you're in like the thick of war when you're like you have no money but you need like another eight hours of shooting like it helps when you 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 can don't have to converse and don't have to you know necessarily say it like somebody just knows they've got you right oh my god that's why I love working with Alan because Alan um when I'm off, Alan's there to help me put me back on. And when Alan's <laughs> off, I'm there to help Alan get back yeah. on. And we, we work together because you become in sync. And those that's what business partnership is about, is that we're there to help each other. Um, and it's it does take a lot because psychologically, you're creating something that you have no clue what's going to be its the outcome of it. And when you go to a nine-to-five job, you basically, you know, I got to work from nine to five. I got to get this all this paperwork in by this particular point, and if I'm lucky, I get two weeks vacation. Where with art, you don't know, mm-hmm. and it's yours, and you, and that kind, of, that sometimes is very scary. So when you work with people that could help balance you out, that's very important. It really right. is. And you have to have that trust. Yeah, it's a relationship. Sure. It's mm-hmm. definitely a relationship. May not it? it it's a relationship that. Um, you have to trust and you know it's 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 like marriage mm-hmm. you know you're trusting and there are there are areas that you know that you can go and there are areas that you can't go to lots of compromise as well <laughs> yes <laughs> just yes. sacrificing the dream and just like we just gotta roll just gotta do it um so i want to talk to you a little bit about the distribution process right. yes um so three years of festivals as mm-hmm. you're going through that process are you thinking about dvd release do you uh, are you you know, putting it out on streaming. What are you doing to get the word out besides the festivals? Festivals help. Um, Tales of Poe was blessed because we had a, an incredible cast. And what I mean by an incredible cast is a cast that the genre had a, it was already built in. So you have Adrian King from Friday 13 Part 1, Amy Steele from Friday 13 Part 2, Caroline Williams from Texas Chainsaw, Debbie Rashan, Leslie Donaldson, Desiree. These are people all within the horror genre mm-hmm. who have a fan base. Now, the only reason why that happened is because my first film, Vindication, was a critical success and a festival success. And Alan's films, um, Gallery of Fear and The Bloodshed, his work also was successful. So having that, the talent begins to look at you and say, hey, you know what? You're somebody I want to work with. And that began to happen. And having the built-in audience kind of helps the DVD sales and helps with the distribution and stuff. Um, Yeah, you do go in mind knowing that, okay, where do I want this film to go? I hope we get the best distributor. Will it make money? I don't know. Wild Eye releasing, they've been really great so far. Um, and I think we probably will see something around March because um, mm-hmm. you get, like, quarterly statements and yeah. stuff. And, you know, you learn real fast. <laughs> I mm-hmm. learned with Vindication who to sign with and who not to sign with. Sure. And I will never sign with them again. <laughs> uh, Wild, <laughs> Wild Eye releasing is very good. He's, Rob's really good with paperwork and stuff like that. Uh, but you do. You go and, you know, you want the best for your kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you work so hard for it. Why wouldn't you want the best? And Wild Eye releasing, we had came down to like two different distributors and 
Wild Eye was the one that presented the best for us in terms of because they loved horror and he knew our work and like this guy was not BSing us and it was like oh finally somebody in this business who's actually like a, a real person. Right. What you really know. finally sold you on them? Like, what was the thing that you were like, I can trust my movie with them? Um, when you do go for a distributor, your best bet is talk to other filmmakers that are with that distributor, uh, and you call them up and you like write them letters. <laughs> yeah, they said, yeah, you know what? Yelp is probably the best way to describe it. Rob had a very good reputation. He was always delivered on his money, and he never kind of cheated other filmmakers and stuff. And they may not be the biggest distribution distributors in the world, but they're definitely a very well-respected one. Um, they've gotten onto iTunes and stuff, so Tales of Poe has been moving on the distribution route since October. And we mm. actually just signed over at Dark Delicacies here on Magnolia, and uh, we had uh, a signing at Forbidden Planet in New York City Ooh. one day apart. So, you know, again, that's part of the process of the distribution and, you know, knowing people to help you get there, too. Mm-hmm. And networking is a major part of it because mm-hmm. you're going to start to hear, oh, go over here, go over here. It's like that puzzle where, like, one piece is missing, but so you keep moving everything around. Yeah. You know, so that's that's what distribution deals are like. What did you learn during that process of promoting that you wish you knew before you started? Oh, man. Uh, with Vindication, I really learned because that, that was my first kid, and I had there's no instruction book that comes out. Everybody writes a book about what to do with your first kid, but <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, what I learned was ask a lot more questions. Really know somebody that knows Photoshop very well. Alan's very good at it because you can make your own posters and stuff like that. Yeah, Put it sure. out there. Like um, I think it was Francis Ford Coppola that said, the future of filmmaking is in the hands of the younger generation because your computers are now sitting in your homes. Your editing systems are now in your home. Your cameras are now in your homes. Uh, you, that doesn't mean that everybody's a filmmaker. It just means that you have the opportunity to now continue to create more films outside of a Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. So the John Cassavetes of our day in the 1970s when he was struggling to make films uh, – you know, now are in the hands of these young people. So asking questions, learning. You know, if you're really great at writing, that's great because that's going to get you in. But also be great at something else. Like I got mm-hmm. into the business as a cinematographer, not as a director, because I knew that was the backdoor entrance for myself. Because <laughs> I'm very good with the camera and the lighting and photography, and I have an obsession with it. And nobody wants to let you direct your own film. Yeah, it's uh, tough in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I like this idea of like have two skills, one that yeah. can pay the bills and that you can market to other filmmakers. Because yep. like we say, it's a collaborative art form, and the best way for you to get started is to start working with your peers. Um, and then being able to launch that once you have you know your foundation and a reel and people know you and your work ethic uh, which we talked about before we came on air as being <coughs> highly highly important in the industry then you can do like your dream projects if you want to you know direct or whatever and you'll get there it's just going to take work to get there you, mm-hmm. it's a mountain that you have to climb and there are days that it's going to be very steep and there are going to be days that's very flat and they're going to be this very jagged and you're going to get cut and you're going to sweat and you're going to cry and you're going to there's going to be blood spilled all over the place but it's a part of the process mm-hmm. you know and you have to be not just good at something, you have to be great at it. Yeah. And you have to, because good is, good is good, and that's fine, that's going to get you there. But, you know, mediocrity is not excellent. Yeah. And when you excel in something and you can show it, people will notice that. And the more work that you come with, people will start attaching themselves to you for that. And you have to just keep striving to keep doing it and doing it. Have no, don't go in expecting that this is going to be a big hit just go in knowing that okay this is what i have created and i'm putting this out there and uh, an audience will always find it an audience will always find and then that audience if you're loyal and you do it again they'll come back and that'll keep growing and growing and growing 
We have just a few minutes, but I wanted to ask another question. Um, the auditioning process. Okay. Mm. I've always wanted to audition yeah. for a horror film. Okay. What do you look for? I mean, do you have them scream? Do you have them, like, what? Scream Queen tells us that's the most important aspect, <laughs> yeah. is just belting out that scream. Um, you know, fortunately for my actors, I've never really auditioned anybody. They've been handpicked. Oh, nice. Um, uh, so, you know, I, but when I have auditioned people, I don't want them to scream. I kind of usually, honestly, I just like to sit and talk to them because I want to know who I'm working with. Um, if you're like a pain in the neck, I don't want to work with you. Um, if you are a person who is really pleasant, but can go to those areas of darkness or can pull a scream out and let's face it you could dub a scream mm, so sure. that's okay uh but I, you know i like to work with people who are just as passionate about the project as i am and those are the people that i want on board uh. um so the people that i have auditioned um it's just basically usually i'll go get them some dinner or something we'll sit and we'll talk and i just i just want to get to know them and see if they've done their homework and their research also i like people who come in with knowledge yeah Absolutely. I feel like we've been burying the lead a little bit. We've been talking a lot about this film, Tales of Poe, and you were Mm -hmm. kind enough to bring in uh, the trailer. So I want to see if we can watch that real quick. Sure. And that's Alan Rokelli right there. Amazing. Wild Eye releasing. (laughs) All right. I heard all things in heaven. You don't want to go there. Now do you? I heard many things in hell. Ah! How long can you say that I am mad? Listen. Observe. Also have Randy Jones from the Village People in there. Okay, the well, cowboy. Awesome. <laughs> Randy's great. He's such a such a great, handsome, leaning man. Oh man, I love working with him. That's so awesome. I really uh, when I went to Cannes, my favorite part was the midnight horror movies that uh-huh. they did because uh, they're so different from the elegant ballroom, uh, <laughs> you know, late early evening kind of shows. And then it's like midnight horror. Oh and like God. the super movie buffs come out and they're sometimes like in costume. And it's just incredible. And that made me want to like go to a drive-in and watch a midnight we horror movie. Literally, we were just invited. Uh, last week we just played at a Grindhouse <gasps> festival. And we were so, so inspired by that. And they, like the their promotion was our poster. Oh, oh come so on. I, Again, it's like those moments where you're just like, get the hell Pinch out me. of here. Pinch me, yeah. So what was, the, okay, just, we're coming to an end here, but yeah. I just have to ask, because one, I've never been to a Grindhouse film uh-huh. festival, and that sounds, like, amazing. What Was the fan reaction, uh, was because they, they've got to be more in the know. They, they like, yeah. know, when they see those faces, they're like, yes, we yes. love these they people. They get crazy. It's a great crowd. You know, the horror crowd is the best crowd. Yeah. Uh, because they're very loyal, and they love their films, and they do, and they really, they can go to those places and still have fun with it. 
So being a part of a Grindhouse Festival was absolutely amazing. Uh, and that was in, um, I think it was Ohio we were in. And it was just, you just sit there, and I love sitting sitting watching with an audience that goes in, entirely insane. That's you could so rip the chairs cool. out. I'd love that. Right. It's <laughs> like when they're so passionate about yeah, it, it's yeah. just like the best rewarding feeling, I bet. Oh, it, it, it is. It yeah. is. It's very rewarding. Because that, those are the people that are going to carry your film for right. for the for however long it is. Forever. You know? Just like the little boy in Germany sharing it with his friends. Oh, my God. It's just, like... I'm, yes, yes. That you know what? That's basically it. I mean, the critic reviews and the awards help. They do, but at the end of the day, it's the person that sits and watches it, like like I did with Friday the Thirteenth, five hundred thousand times, and never get bored with mm-hmm. it. You know, and you know, those are the people that really you're making the films for. Right. That's beautiful. Well, we really appreciate you coming Thank and stopping by yeah. and talking to us and, and teaching us everything we need to know about adaptation, getting started. Um, I, I feel ready to watch a lot of horror movies now. Oh my gosh, I'm pumped. I am in. always ready to watch a horror film. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Drive in, let's go. Yes, yes, yes total. Um, you guys can come back next week. Please join us again for class at 4 o'clock. Uh, we're going to have Tony Bridgman, uh, cinematographer extraordinaire and uh, chair of cinematography for NYFA. He oh, is nice. so right. He's yeah, amazing. He's, and he's great. Uh, Very well-respected man. Mm-hmm. So many pearls of wisdom to come from Tony and I, I'm not even sure where we're going to start with him like legacy of career or, or future advice Sam Lott they, okay, well, <laughs> he does he's like his, we're going to get into it the guy's done docs to children's movies to like Academy Award nominees stuff like he is all over the board crazy bananas so we're really excited we want to thank Bart again for thank coming you. in so and so sharing your work with us um, it was wonderful come back next week we love you guys thank come you back. yes thank you so much <laughs> bye guys Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.